Watching my fellow Americans with your host, Spike Collins. Yes. Yes, it's me. It's me. Keep clapping. Clap for the education before miracle. Thank you so much for tuning in. Keep clapping. How will we know that you wanted? The Education Reform Miracle. If you didn't keep clapping, welcome to my fellow Americans. I am literally Spike Cohen. We have a fantastic episode with an absolute fan favorite. Uh, the last time we had him on, the fans were eating him up. Uh, they want him to actually have his own spinoff show. That's my Lenny, uh, but we're going to be working on that very soon, uh, and I'll be introducing him in just one minute, so stay tuned. Uh, we'll be doing that very shortly. This is a Muddied Waters Media production. Check us out on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Anchor, Twitter, Periscope, iTunes, Google Play, Float, Twitch, everywhere. Check us out on all the podcasting applications, anywhere that you can watch or listen to things on the internet. We are on there. And of course, always go to muddiedwatersmedia.com for this and all other episodes. Be sure to like us, follow us, five star us, wherever it is you are watching or listening to this, whether live or pre-recorded. Be sure to do whatever the thing is on that platform to demonstrate that you want to keep hearing and seeing more from us. If it's on YouTube, don't just press subscribe. Also hit the bell. We want your phone to literally explode with notifications every time we go live. So be sure to hit the bell and share this right now. Share this right this very second. The last thing that any of us want is for you and your closest loved ones to miss out on a roughly hour-long libertarian podcast on a Wednesday evening. Be sure to give the gift of Spike Cohen today. Kids love it. This episode, of course, is brought to you by the Libertarian Party Waffle House Caucus, the fastest-growing waffle-related caucus in this or any other party in the history of humankind. It has to be. There's no way there's another larger waffle-related political party caucus. If there is, 
I, I just can't imagine that there is. Uh, so be sure to become a member today by going to the Facebook group Libertarian Party Waffle House Caucus. And if you want to become an official seated voting member, whatever the hell that means, uh, then be sure to go to muddiedwatersmedia.com slash store and buy yourself a Waffle House Caucus button or a Waffle House Caucus shirt so that you can become an official voting member. We don't we don't actually vote. But if you want this logo on a thing that you own, go to the store and you can do that. This episode, of course, is brought to you by the Gravy King. And this episode, of course, is brought to you by Nug of Knowledge, smokable CBD products. Nug of Knowledge is not your everyday CBD supplier. Uh, a portion of all their profits go to help end the harmful war on drugs. They also have a compassionate use program that donates medicinal hemp products to veterans and people with disabilities who cannot afford these natural remedies. Many people who use Nug of Knowledge say that it helps them with joint pain, stress relief, or a much-needed pick-me-up. If you'd like to buy some today, uh, be sure to go to nugofknowledge.com. And be sure to use checkout code SPIKE, S-P-I-K-E. Use checkout code SPIKE for 10% off. Um, And this episode is brought to you by Joe Soloski, who's running for Pennsylvania governor. Joe Soloski is the key to Pennsylvania success, and uh, he invites you to join him in his run for Pennsylvania's next governor as a libertarian. If you want to help him, go to Joe Soloski. That's (laughs) J-O-E-S-O-L-O-S-K-I.com. Let me do that again, just in case I got it wrong. J-O-E-S-O-L-O-S-K-I dot com. Uh, and this episode, uh, of course, is brought to you by personal injury attorney Chris Reynolds, attorney at law. If you have been personally injured in Florida, then that's terrible, and I'm so sorry. But uh, you might be able to get some money out of it uh, because you can sue the person who injured you. And if you want to sue someone... I mean, you actually have to have been injured. You can't just randomly sue people. But if you wanted to sue someone who actually hurt you in a substantive way that is sufficient for you to justify needing money from them, go to chrisreynoldslaw.com and personal injury attorney Chris Reynolds would love to help you uh, if he can. And if he cannot, then you probably don't have a case. I'm just being brutally honest. chrisreynoldslaw.com. Uh, I'd like to thank... What am I thinking? Oh, the intro and outro music to this and every episode of My Fellow Americans comes from the amazing and talented Mr. Joe Davi. That's J-O-D-A-V-I. Check him out on Facebook. Go to his SoundCloud. Go to joedavimusic.bandcamp.com. Buy his entire discography. It's like 25 bucks. You'll be more than happy that you did. Thank you so much to Mr. Joe Davi. I'd like to thank Le Bleu for this delicious, ultra-pure drinking water that I'm drinking on this episode. It is delicious. It is made in America. It's BPA-free. It's oxygenated with ozone. It's non-carbonated, and it's certified kosher, just like me. I'm also all of those things. Well, I assume that I'm BPA-free. I don't really know what BPAs are, but I hope I don't have any. Bulavanaka. It's good water, I'll tell you that. Shout out to Tehran Turks' mom and him as always. Folks, I can't wait to introduce my next guest tonight. He is one of my favorite people. Uh, My guest tonight, as you probably already know, is an absolute champion for education. He is the former managing editor of Champion News. Oddly enough, champion for education. And Education Matters, two publications that were uh, focused on education reform. He's talked about education on Fox News, ABC Chicago, multiple radio outlets and newspapers across the United States, and on My Fellow Americans, programmed by former Libertarian vice presidential candidate Spike Cohen. 
Uh, he has been a presenter on panels discussing education choice, common core, homeschooling, uh, the uh, Illinois Freedom of Information laws with groups such as American Majority, Americans for Prosperity, Illinois Tea Party groups, homeschool conventions, state legislative hearings, and Muddied Waters Media. Spike Cohen right here. He's done that before. Uh, and he is on here tonight with me, Spike Cohen. We are not going to rest until we have single-handedly solved the education crisis in this country. I literally will not let this man leave my show until every education problem has been solved specifically by us. Ladies and gentlemen, my fellow Americans, please welcome to the show, Mr. Lenny J. Nope. Lenny, thanks so much for coming on, man. It's, it's awesome to have oh, you again. Thank, thank you, Spike. It was great last time. I know we'll have lots of fun tonight. Oh, yeah, we always have fun. Folks, be sure to uh, comment with your thoughts and questions, and Lenny and I will tell you if you are right or wrong. And we definitely will. Lenny is Lenny is nothing if not a brutalist. Uh, Lenny, uh, before we get started on what you have to, to talk with us about uh, on this episode, uh, tell us, I, I, I love your story about what got you into being an education reform advocate. Basically, someone just wouldn't leave you alone. Tell, tell us the story again. What, 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 yeah. Tell us the Lenny Jarrett Genesis story about education reform. Yeah, well, I was, kind of, I was a computer programmer, kind of stayed to myself, didn't really do a lot. But our school district back in 2004 that I lived in was having a referendum. So I'm like, okay, I need to figure out, should I be voting for or against this referendum? <laughs> Lots, I'm a lot smarter now than I was back then. But right, right, right. I know the answer is always no now. But yes. <laughs> so I started doing uh, Freedom of Information Act or FOIAs at our local school district and set up a website. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to post everything I find so the whole community can see what I'm doing. Well, about two weeks later, somebody hacked my website to shut it down. And then on the pro-referendum website, they actually posted my name, my address, how much I paid for my house, my wife's name, how many kids I had, the fact that I was homeschooling them at the time. They knew everything. They were locally there and started right. doing that. And so I continued and kept researching. And the more I researched, the more I had this cyber stalker basically follow me around wherever I posted, even writing articles for the Daily Herald or posting comments on the Daily Herald, he would find me. He must have had a Google alert on my name and find me and kept kept badgering me every single time. And about six years later, later, he made the mistake of posting something and it had his real name on it. So I found out who it was. And it was the husband of one of the elementary school teachers at the local school that was right beside our house. Right. So <laughs> then he finally stopped. But six years later, I was digging into research and becoming a policy wonk and figuring out what was wrong with the public school system and why they were spending so much money and it wasn't having any impact on the kids. So turned me went, I went basically from a computer programmer that was so shy I didn't want to stand up and talk to now I'm out giving speeches and on any show that'll have me to talk about school choice. I love it. This is, and especially knowing you at least a little bit personally, knowing just how kind you are, I'm picturing you, you're like, hey, I wonder how I should, like le legitimately, I wonder how I should vote on this. 
I'm going to go look into it and I'll make a website so I can share this info with other people. And then you get attacked and you become their worst enemy. I love it. Like, I love that, yep. like, you know, it was like, I just wanted to be left alone. And like, you, you go from, you know, from just being this, just, you know, and I mean, you still are, you're still a very kind, courteous gentleman, but you go from just being this, just, you know, well, Hey, this is what I found out. I think this would work best. And then they go and turn you into like one of the biggest champions for education reform. I think it's absolutely incredible. And it just goes to show be nice to people or else they might end up becoming your worst enemy and undoing everything you yep. want to do. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> it's so funny to me. So let's talk about that. Tell us a little bit about, you know, uh, you were on my show, man, was that back in January? Back in January. Yeah. yeah, it was early so January. It, yeah, it's been a couple of, uh, it's been a couple months now, uh, almost three months now. Tell us yep. some of the stuff that's been going on since we last talked, man. Well, since then, all the state legislators, legislatures, legislatures, I can't talk tonight, have gone into session. And so far, the, this session, there have been 30 states that have introduced some type of expansion or school choice bill in mm-hmm. those 30 states. And it's, it's really fun. Actually, a dozen of them, about a dozen, maybe a little over, have actually, it's passed out of one chamber or the other. So out of the state house or the state senate. Those bills have gotten through one side of it. A couple of them are completely dead right now. But the best news was West Virginia, both their House and their Senate passed a education savings account bill that gives every student in public school, if they want it, or incoming student, 100% of the money that the state was going to give. So it's the first universal education choice bill in any state, and Governor Jim Justice signed it into law. So it's going to be, it's going, we'll see how that goes in West Virginia, but they went from basically having two charter schools allowed back in 2018 to now having the first state with universal education choice. Wow. So So when you're saying the money's being assigned to them, does it still have to go into a charter school? Or for example, could this be used for like homeschooling or something like that? This can be used for private schooling, and I uh, believe it'll be used. It can be used for homeschooling and stuff as well. Wow. I haven't looked at that part yet to see, but yeah, they don't even have to. They can use this for a charter school. They can use this really to buy different therapies for their kid. They could actually use an eclectic mix where they actually pay for a public school class, pay for a charter school class, pay for some online classes, pay for a private school class. They can wow. do whatever they want because it's basically in an account dedicated to their child that they now get to spend on anything that's education related and it still has to be approved through the state, but right. it's just, they can do basically anything at this point, education wise for their child. So they can really, really do it up the way they ever, they want to at this point. So this is West Virginia, right? That's West Virginia. So there's some that's... more, <laughs> there's some more States, but that's, that's the biggest one that's passed so far this year. That is, and that's passed. The governor signed it. That's now the law. Yep. That is now the law. Yes. Wow. The other couple, a small tax credit scholarship expansion happened in South Dakota. That's already passed. And Governor Noem has signed that into law as well now. So Mm -hmm. that's law there. Just basically expands their tax credit scholarship where actually theirs is set up for insurance companies. Insurance companies can donate to a scholarship granting organization and then they get a tax credit for that donation to the, tra- to the scholarship organization. And then the scholarship organization basically gives money to kids, gives them a scholarship to be able to go to a private school. 
So that one was an expansion. It's not universal yet, but hopefully it'll get there soon. <laughs> so. Well, and I think last time you talked about, I'm trying to remember, you were saying that the most important thing, it was less about, uh, you were you were less concerned about the or origination of the actual funding and more concerned about where ultimately it was going, that it was being tied to the the uh, the parents being able to make choices for their students as opposed yes. to basically being segregated into their school district or their county or whatever. Yes, correct. And so right. and there's multiple ways. There's multiple ways. If anybody wants to actually ask, they can email me. But a quick overview, an education savings account that we like West Virginia has is an account that the parents control. They basically get a debit card for that account that then they use for education expenses. A tax credit scholarship is something the S the scholarship granting organization takes donations for. And then they hand out the scholarships and some SGOs for a scholarship granting organization give the money directly to the family to spend for this to the school. And some of them mm -hmm. just pay the school directly right. for their tuition. So it's more the tax credit scholarship is a little more limited where the ESA can be spent on almost anything that's education related. And then there's also you'll hear a lot about vouchers as well, um, yeah. which is just a certificate that the parent gives to the school to then be able to go that pays the tuition for that school. And that's kind of Indiana's biggest program is they have the biggest voucher program in the country. And they're looking to actually expand this year, expand their voucher program, but also create an ESA as well. That would be about 90% of what the state spends on a student to go in there. And that bill still were is still working its way through the legislature. So we'll have to see where that one goes. So here's here's a question that comes from uh, one of the commenters from Jacob. Um, he's saying, you know, th the main concern for pretty much anything that comes from government is whether or not the money is going to go where it's supposed to go. Now, I know there were a bunch of different versions of this in, in all 30 states. Yes. But for example, with the West Virginia model, uh, with the education savings accounts, uh, you know, do you know if there's any kind of controls in place or anything like that to make sure that it's actually going where it should be? Yeah, the state uh, to be an education. Uh valid education vendor they will have to get approved through the state so when the debit cards are going are being spent it has to be spent at an approved vendor that the state has already vetted and know that it's educational expenses that okay. does do some type of does a little bit of limitation on some on some of the expenses but it gives the state the ability to track everything i mean arizona has had a esa since 2011 and okay. they've had less than a half of 1% of fraud that they track because they have all the receipts from the credit cards. So they can track every bit of that and know if somebody's trying to use at one vendor. Like if somebody goes to Walmart, Walmart would be an education vendor because of all the supplies they sell. If somebody goes and oh. buys a big screen TV, the parents have actually been prosecuted and kicked out of the program. So there is a checks and balances there that's tracking all of the money. So it can't be used for fraud. If it is, they're going to be prosecuted and kicked out of the program. I was going to say it's probably a lot easier to to find someone who's to find a, a parent who spends the money on a big screen TV as opposed to finding, uh, you know, uh, teachers unions who are spending money wastefully uh, all over the place yep. and, and, and regulators spending money wastefully all over the place. And it's perfectly legal because they have the, oh, the, yeah. the latitude to do that. Right. And the kickbacks that happened in school districts. I mean, the, the CEO of Chicago Public Schools got went to jail for taking kickbacks of like $20 million 
but most school districts, if you don't, if somebody's in a, in a school district, if you want to have fun with a school district, give them a FOIA asking for the inventory of all of their equipment. The majority of school districts do not have an inventory of their equipment, so they have no idea whether when it gets lost, when it gets stolen, it just disappears. They don't know where it's gone it's because they've gone. never tracked it. The school district I lived in basically took them, it was about 10 or 11 years before they finally put together an inventory because I basically kept foying it every year until they finally got sick of it and put together an inventory. So, this is why they attacked you. This is why they attacked you. You went, hey, guys, I'm Lenny. Hey, where's your money going? And they're like, shut up, Lenny. We don't want to... No, hey, yep. just let me know. I'll just keep asking. I got this website. I'm going to let other people know, too. And so they started attacking Yep. <laughs> oh, yep. I love it, man. So, so yeah, so the potential for fraud, obviously, you know, with any, with any mass amount of, of moving of money, there's going to be the potential for fraud, but for fraud, but this is much more easily trackable because unlike yes. our public schools, uh, they actually have to keep track of where the money's going. Yep, exactly. <laughs> That's exactly. interesting. So, but the fun one was this fun law that got passed this week into law was Kentucky passed a tax credit scholarship funded ESA which is actually the ideal way to fund students is actually that way where it's coming from private donations going into that. But the governor, Bashir, actually vetoed the bill. So the state house and state Senate overrode his veto this week, making it law. And it's so funny because Bashir talked about how it was going to hurt public schools and he's this public school defender he yeah. sends his kid to private school, and he also went to private school himself. He just came back to public schools and actually graduated from a public school. But, yeah, he went to private school, and his kids go to private school. But, yet, he doesn't want the poor kids in Kentucky being able to go to a private school. Exactly. So, so, so that's now law, even though he signed it, they overrode his veto. And so now yep. – and now what – so what, how is that different than West Virginia again? It's, it's being funded privately? Yeah, it's being funded privately. So the, the tax credit scholarship – basically funds the, the education savings account. So private donations will be given to the, to, to the, actually, I think they're going to do it to still through an SGO. They'll give money okay. to an SGO. The people that are donating will get a tax credit. Then the SGO will manage the money going into accounts specifically for that child. So it can go to more than just tuition. It can go, it can give the parents more flexibility to do exactly what they need as for the kids. So it is the ultimate way of funding children is a tax credit scholarship funded funding ESAs. I was going to say, this is free market education. Not only are, yep. are the parents in charge of where the education money is going, but it's actually being privately funded, funded too. So there's not, they're essentially getting rid of the need for the state to even be involved in education, at, at least yeah, at the eventually. state level, maybe still at the local level. It's still going to be all the local money still going to that. Actually, that's the other thing. It's kind of funny. One of the myths is that school choice takes money away from public schools, which it actually doesn't in the long run, because when students leave to go to a private school, that school is still getting all of the local tax money and federal tax money. So therefore, the actual expenditures per child that the money that the schools have actually increases with every child that leaves the school district. So they actually have more money per child when a student leaves than when that student is actually there, yet they're complaining about it the whole entire time. 
Well, and the, we know why that is. They're not worried about the per student money as much as the fact that when the other schools drastically outperform them and when there were millions of success stories across the country, not just limited to specific areas where they can say, oh, you're cherry picking, but when literally the entire country is filled with tens of millions of students and parents who've said that, you know, uh, it, it, charter schools and homeschooling and free market choices of education outperformed their public school uh, uh, outcomes you know exponentially and there's data to show it that completely it, it kills the narrative that we even need government involved in schooling in the first place and certainly the teachers unions don't need to be involved in it so i mean oh, it's, exactly. they're it's, looking at the a, long game of what happens to their whole narrative yeah it's about control it really is i mean kentucky's actually sets theirs up it's you have to be below 175 percent of the federal poverty guidelines so that kind of and it's capped at 25 million for tax credits to start with and, st and things like that. So it's going to be a very limited program. But all those programs start off slow and gradually build over time. It's going to take a long time before. I mean, a lot of families aren't ready to leave public schools, nor should they. I mean, some of, yeah. some kids actually yeah. thrive in some of their public schools. They, they actually are some good, good public schools around. And that's the one thing I always ask the superintendent. They say, well, all these kids are going to leave. And I'm like, so you're telling me your school is that bad that every kid is going to leave your school? Everyone's going to leave. problem. Otherwise, they're not leaving. If they're happy, they're not going to leave. That's the whole point. You <laughs> can't choice. You can't simultaneously say you're robbing these kids of a quality education and also say all of the children are going to leave our schools because they suck. Please leave. A, please, exactly. please help us. Like, it's one or the other. Um, so uh, <laughs> I just got a comment. Uh, I'm late. What did I miss? Start over. So, hey, folks, uh, thanks so much for tuning. No. Um, so we have a, we do have a couple questions here, though. Um, the, uh, uh, Meg asks, uh, could some of, and, and this is more, you may not know this, this is more of a, a brass tax about the, um, about how this works, but, um, could some of the funding, uh, be used to help arrange like transportation costs for a child to go further away from their home? If bus transportation isn't an option for, for that, for whatever schooling they're going to, is that, is transportation something that would be considered an education expense? In most states would that have an ESA transportation is included as part of that ability to expend it for that. I know okay, Arizona's cool. is, I did not, I don't know about West Virginia's. I would assume it is. And I'm assuming Kentucky probably did, but I don't know, but the majority of ESAs have a clause, have the ability for you to spend on transportation as well too. Okay, good. Cause that was, that was a question of mine is, you know, one thing about being segregated into all these public school systems is that a lot of times the alternatives are not necessarily in their immediate area. So they're still within a reasonable distance, but they're not, they're 20 or 30 minutes away as opposed to, you know, 10 minutes away, or they might be the same distance, but the public busing system is only for those public schools as opposed to now having to work something out. Um, another right. question uh, from Daniel, he says he coaches, uh, he says, I coach for my middle school's football and basket basketball teams. How does, you know, how does this affect funding for things like sports and things like that? Or, or does it? It doesn't. I mean, the school is basically funding them however they were going to fund them before. And the private school would have their own funding if they have their own sports teams and stuff. There's even some homeschool groups that have sports teams that play in leagues with a lot of the private schools. So it doesn't affect anything on the sports side of it. It's just focused on the education side. But with the ESAs, they could actually pay for classes. Now, if they wanted to do football or something like that that's your PE requirements they can actually help pay for some of that for 
the first kids that are going to go to private schools now. And in some public schools, we'll actually allow homeschool kids and non-public school kids to actually be able to play on their teams uh, with certain requirements. Every state has different restrictions on how they do that. Actually, if somebody wants to look that up, look up Tebow laws. And a lot of homeschoolers are allowed to play because of Tim T. They named the law after Tim Tebow. Oh, the Tebow laws? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, so you have a fan. Uh, Evan is asking you to notice him. So can you say hi to Evan, Lenny, please? Hi, Evan. Yeah, Evan Wilson. So hi, Evan. <laughs> yeah, Evan Wilson. Yeah, Evan Wilson. Hi, Evan Wilson. Um, so, yeah, I, I now one person mentioned it. It could affect how sports recruiting happens. But again, if the entire movement is towards a, a free market system schooling, that means that it's probably not just the students headed there. It's probably the coaches and everyone else headed there to it, yeah. you know, longer term. Yeah, and that actually happens in the public schools too. I mean, there, you know, you look at some of these some of these states where some of these schools will go and recruit some of these really good kids and somehow get their kid in a new a new address in an, another school district to make sure they're in that school district. It happens now. It's just under the table more where this would be. You know, it's at, you, you'd be able to see it a lot more and stuff. But this happens. I mean, it happens in college. It's just, it's. It works in college. It can work in high schools and stuff too. But yeah, <laughs> I know that's well, one of those always those drawbacks, especially like Texas that really don't like their Friday, Friday night football being messed with. Right, exactly. And the thing is, this is what I tell people. They're like, "Well, everybody wants X. What happens if X goes away?" And I'm like, "If everyone wants X, X isn't going away. X, so exactly. you know, if everyone acknowledges that school sports is important." School sports isn't going anywhere. It's not yep. government that created school sports. If anything, it's government that's hampering it. Uh, on yep. on that, uh, before we talk about some of the other uh, other exciting things that have happened, uh, Jimmy asks about if we've talked about uh, the Department of Education, and we have not yet, which I'm surprised by because usually it's almost a half hour into this program. Usually I've railed against the federal government at least two <laughs> or three times by now. Uh, but so can we talk a little bit about that? A, a little bit of background. Uh, this show and I uh, and Muddy Waters Media are of the belief that the federal government has demonstrated that it should not be involved in education. It has spent trillions of dollars. Yep. Uh, we went from being number one in schools when they started to being like number 24, or some ridiculous thing. Every every metric used to uh, to measure student outcomes has worsened in the time the federal government's been involved. Um, whether or not you agree with that, you're, you're certainly free to give your opinion on it. But how does the federal government play into the things that we're talking about at the state level, or does it? They do. They meddle a whole lot and get in the way of everything. Every state basically has to file a education plan, especially if they're not doing well with the Department of Education, who then approves it or doesn't approve it, which is stupid. The Fed, Fed should not be approving state plans regardless. The right. Department of Education actually actually was created a long time before Jimmy Carter. Uh, most people don't realize that. It was actually created, I believe, in 1858. Yeah, you and talked about this last time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it became a department, but people got upset about it, so it became just a group under the commerce department so it was nothing but data collection for if actually almost so 60 70 years and under franklin roosevelt it started getting to mandate some of the farm things and stuff like that and right. gradually just got more and more um involved in stuff into the 70s and then when it became a full blown, we're gonna have to fix education it, they they really screwed things up and they became more and more involved and 
right now it's about over 40% of the money comes from the federal department of education and well, the feds giving money to the states and stuff, but only, I'm sorry, that's going to get it backwards. About 8% of the might, the 9% of the money comes from the federal government, but over 40% of the regulations come from the federal government, which really meddles in the education. The states should be more responsible for their own education, but they like free money. That's why we ended up with common, the common core standards was because the Obama administration basically bribed all the states to accept right. the common core standards. And now everybody saw where that went. It's backfiring on everybody. And now they're slowly trying to get rid of it, but it's, it's, you know, and you get no child left behind under George Bush, Gosh. which didn't help anything. And now you've got the ESSA, which is the elementary secondary school or yeah, secondary school act, which is just, pathetic it basically leaves every kid behind anyway or yeah (laughs) so it's just so stupid what the feds do and how much they get involved so yeah they the department of education should be nothing but a records collection agency that collects data from the states so we can see how education is going nationally and that's all they should be doing they should have no other involvement within education whatsoever except just data collection if that, I mean, if, if there's any role, it should be simply information gathering, not, you right. know, telling That's the states it. how to run it. They, they've clearly yep. failed in, in that. Yep. Yeah. They have. So, <laughs> and, and an interesting the note, thing to note, you said, you know, 40% of the regulations are coming from the, uh, from the federal government side um, and only eight or 9% of the money. But the reality is that money's still coming from us. It's just yep, being it filtered is. through the federal government. Um, and so that's money that's being robbed from parents who could then spend that money directly or through their, you know, uh, their school districts or states or whatever be spending that money on education. Yes. So it's yep. just money that it's, it's a shell game. It's if I take some money out of your wallet and I give you back a little bit of it and I go here now implement this and implement that or I won't give you the money. Well, I didn't help you there. I robbed you and made your yep. life harder. Exactly. Yeah, so so uh, tell us a little bit more about some of the other exciting stuff that's happened in the last couple of months since you've been on. Well, uh, George is another one that's already passed the bill. Um, it'll add an additional 58,000 students that, to be eligible for their, for their voucher programs and stuff as well. So it's increasing everywhere. And that's just waiting for the actual – it hasn't been sent to the governor yet. I believe it will be. My assumption is – Governor Kemp is going to sign it, but we'll have to wait and see. But I assume he will sign that expansion. I mean, some of these bills have been working on forever. I mean, I've been helping with some of these states and talking to some of these state legislatures for years, trying to help them get stuff passed. And I mean, we're still, everybody, there's lots of groups still working with them. I know ACE that I work for now does the same thing. We will go to certain states and try to help pass things too. This year has been it's been amazing how many people are, pass, are passing bills and introducing bills. Not as many of them have passed. As you can see, only four states have actually passed something now. Yeah. And it looks like all four of those will become law. There's still a couple of states that are in the works that may pass something that may not, but only a few more out of the 30 states. We may get another three or four more expansions of school choice. So basically less than a third of the states that introduced a bill are actually going to expand school choice this year. But that's better than the last few years. The last few cycles have been even less. 
maybe you get lucky you get one or two to pass so right it's definitely done a whole lot better this year yeah and i was gonna say so i mean we've had you know the fact that i would assume the fact that there have been dozens of states that have even been introducing this in their legislatures uh and the fact that a few of them pass is that's a movement in the pot in the in the right direction right like that's that's yes. actually better yep. than in previous years yes it is now, has there been anything uh, this year uh, or, or in the past couple months that has happened that has been a step in the wrong direction, in your opinion, by any of the states when, when it comes to um, education? Well, I, some states that you would think would pass school choice, like Texas is not passing school choice. The House killed their bill that they've been every year. It goes back and the House continues to kill it. I mean, it should pass school choice. Arkansas this year, there was a really good chance of a bill passing there. And their house killed the bill as well. Actually, I was listening to one of the legislature legislators talk, and I won't I won't I won't say his name, but he basically was talking about how in his district there are two schools that only have white children attend the school. And because of that, he was going to vote against the school choice bill because there wasn't a private school that would accept the low income and minority kids in his district. So therefore he was voting against it. I'm sitting there like, uh, didn't Arkansas, wasn't Arkansas one of the big states with lawsuits and in about integration and segregation and how long it took. And you're sitting up here talking about these segregated school, private schools, and you're doing nothing about it. Right. And also the idea that, you know, a a lot of the reason why those schools are overwhelmingly or even a hundred percent white is because thanks to the, the, the racial politics of, of states like Arkansas, everyone there that isn't white is poor. They can't afford to go there. But if you assign money to the people in that school, I, I strongly doubt every single one of these schools are like, no, we are a whites-only school, even though that's completely illegal. They're, they're accepting who can afford it. So if the money's assigned to the kid, they're going to accept who can afford it, which is now many more people. Oh, I would have been, that was like, yeah, you, you have to pass stuff like this. And okay, let's find out what's really going to happen. If this school is really going to stay segregated, exactly, well, we'll get the federal department of justice. That's one thing the federal department of justice is good for. Let them come have fun with this. Yeah, literally. <laughs> so, if, if this is a, if this is a school, you know, whether you agree with the, the, the rules against, uh, you know, uh, uh, private institutions discriminating or not, if there's a school that's like, no, white, only white people in this school there's going to be a, a criminal and civil complaints as a result of that. Like the reality yep. is the reason those schools are hundred percent white is hundred percent of the black people in that area are poor. They can't afford to send their kids to that school. So assign the money to them and they can more than afford to go to that school. An interesting thing to note, Lenny, and, and uh, you may have some more details about this, but am I not correct that the average private school, including these prestigious private schools, spends less money per student or costs less money per student than the average public school does? Yes, absolutely. Florida just did a study on that and their average public school, private school cost is about, I think it was about $9,300, $9,400 per student. And they were, the public schools were spending about, I think it's about $16,000 per student. So it's, but D- DC is even worse. The private schools there are around that $10,000 mark too. But the D.C. public schools are spending $30,000 per child. Wow. So they're spending three times as much for much worse schools. Yes. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And that's and pretty you, much, I don't think I haven't done studies. I haven't, or I haven't seen one in other States, but I'm pretty much sure that's the way it is in most States. It's the same thing. It's not the elite private school. Average private schools cost nowhere near what the public schools are getting per child every single year. It's, it's not even close for the most part. I mean, even the elite private schools probably aren't spending 30 K per student. Yeah, they're probably Maybe some of them. Some, I'm but, sure there are some that yeah, are, but even are many of the far between. Yeah. And I guarantee you their schooling standards are much higher than that of the DC public school system. Yes. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Goodness. You know what's what's incredible about that statistic more so than or maybe not more so, but in addition to just, you know, how much less they're spending, how consistent it is. In Florida, in DC, I'm sure in other areas, private education costs roughly what it costs relative to the cost of living in that area. Whereas depending on how powerful the government is in that area, they could be spending two or three times as much on education as in a similar area, entirely built based not on the cost of living difference there, but just on how much more power the state and and therefore the, the public employees unions have. Yeah, I bet Chicago, I bet Chicago public schools are the same way versus their private schools. I don't know what the average is in Chicago, but I would guarantee right. that's less because Chicago public schools are spending, I think it's 21 or 22,000 per student now. And I know the private schools in Chicago are not costing that much. It is incredible. I was on, uh, gosh, what was I on? I think it was on Kennedy and I was on a panel and then we were talking about education. Yeah, it was Kennedy. And we were talking about education. And one of the guests said, you know, the problem is, uh, you know, the, the politicians just aren't willing to sit down and talk about how much more money needs to be spent on education. And the rest of us were gobsmacked. It was like, we spend way more money per student in education in this country than any other country on earth. It's not even yep. close. You think the disparity in what we spend on healthcare is higher than other countries? Put education, we're spending five and six times as much money as other developed countries that rank way higher than us on education are spending. And it's just, it's, it's, this is not a money problem. This is like looking at a car with a broken transmission and saying, this car needs more gasoline. That's the problem. We don't need to fix the, 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 the transmission. It's the, we need more gas. Yep, that's it. <laughs> so, and well, so, I was listening to uh, the, the bill in Kansas right now that actually passed the House and the Senate. It's got to go to conference now. Um, okay. I think the governor is going to veto it, at least at that, as it stands right now. It'll probably get vetoed. But one of the representatives there was talking about freedom. And she keeps hearing this word freedom tossed around when they're talking about this tax credit scholarship. And to her, giving money to the parents wasn't freedom. It was freedom was giving it to the politicians so they could actually vote and talk about what was best for education. And that was freedom to her. Yeah, I get I, yeah. I don't I don't I have no response. I have no. <laughs> yeah, some of these legislators, it's like they just leave you speechless. It's just like, how can you actually say that? But even worse, how can you actually believe that? So. It's, but that's what it is. It's like, I hope you don't actually believe that and you just said something really stupid. Because if you if you earnestly believe that freedom is the freedom for politicians to spend money without feeling like, you know, they're going to get criticized about it or whatever, that's really, like, that's horrifying. That's That takes us down yep. a whole different... A whole, whole different slippery slope. Tell, so oh, what, what else is going on? Is there is there anything else that's going on out there with education? I mean, Florida's probably going to pass a bill on expanding. They're actually, they're trying to fix, they have five school choice programs. They're trying to 
actually make two education savings account programs, one for their special needs and one for the uh, for other kids. So they're trying to consolidate their programs. Montana's got a good chance of, of passing a bill up there. Montana, interestingly enough, is a, such a small state. But the reason the Blaine amendments are dead through Espinoza versus uh, Montana Department of Revenue, $150 tax scholarship came out of, the, out of Montana, ended up at the Supreme Court, is what ended the anti-Catholic Blaine amendments last year. So, I mean... You never know where it's going, but they'll probably pass a bill. Arizona, I think, will probably pass a bill. Missouri is still working on theirs. It passed the House, but it's just in the Senate now. I don't know if that's going to pass. New Hampshire has a really good chance of passing theirs, and Indiana has probably has a really good chance of passing their expansion. Those are the ones that I think may pass this year. So okay. it puts you like, what, seven or eight right now likely school choice expansions this year. When you usually get maybe you're lucky if you get one or two in a in a session. So, I mean, it's the momentum's there. Actually, the Census Bureau. I haven't looked at this data yet. It just put out a thing preliminarily that homeschooling in the last year has doubled. Some well, place yeah. numbers say it's tripled, but I I, I think doubles probably closer to where it's at. But that's just amazing in and of itself. It well, I mean, you figure if your kids at home all year anyway. And now you're getting a glimpse. In fact, I want to ask you about that because I've, I've met so many people on the campaign trail who said, I didn't realize how bad my kid's education was until I could watch it on Zoom and see just <laughs> yeah. how bad it was and realize yep. that something had to be better. If, if they were going to be at home on Zoom getting a terrible education, uh, then they might as well be at home getting a good education. How much momentum that we're seeing right now do you think and I mean, it doesn't have to be an exact number, but just generally speaking, how much of the momentum do you think is because parents got to experience what you know, the fact exactly what schooling actually looked like? Not just send your kids away and you go to work, and when you come home and your kids are home and you say how was school, and they go, "Oh, it's okay," and you know, but they actually see what it was. How much of this momentum that we're seeing compared to other years do you think is because of that? I would say probably. 75% of the momentum this year has come specifically from that because of the, uh, yeah. the seeing what's going on, the learning pods that have been started creating, the expansion of micro schools, and the fact that so many kids aren't back in school is also playing a lot into it. Parents are just getting upset with that. It makes a difference. Um, actually, I, I, should, I should get a link. I'll get it after the show and put it back in the comments for people. We had a webinar in February with Dr. Eric Hanyashek talking about learning loss. And he predicted about a third of a year learning loss is what he predicted, which would end up costing students three to 5% of their lifetime earnings and cost the economy about 14 trillion over the next century. Wow. But since schools weren't going back as rapidly as he expected by February, he was actually predicting a year's worth of learning loss for those kids that were still being remote which was then going to equate to almost a 10% lifetime earnings loss and $27 trillion lost to the economy in this century. And then the kids that were poor and low income, it's going to hit even worse. They're going yeah, to be closer to a 13% earnings loss over their lifetime. It's just going to set so many people back. And why school choice is so important to get these kids the education and get them caught up because it's affecting everybody. It doesn't just affect those kids. It's affecting the whole economy and society 
everybody. And I mean, that's before we even get into the social aspects of kids being stuck at home. And I mean, we could get into a whole conversation yep. about these lockdowns and closures and everything else. It's very interesting that even though these kids being home uh, is leading more and more people to realize that that public education is a bad thing, that the that the uh, that the teachers unions are still fighting it and still trying to keep the kids out. Um, why? Do, I want to get your thoughts on that. Um, why do you think that is that the student unions, that the teachers unions are fighting so hard to keep the, the kids out? What, you know, I, I, I haven't, I mean, obviously it's, they don't want to be held accountable, but like, it seems like they're really doing something counterintuitive. They're making more enemies to public education. Why do you think they're doing it? It's, it's about money. They're getting more and more money the whole time they're doing this. So that's really what it's about. Actually with Dr. Hanushek, he actually talked about that. And in the 60 largest public school districts, I think about two thirds of those districts, the teachers union and the districts actually renegotiated their contracts, which actually, which they lowered the instruction amount of instruction time that teachers had to be even online. So they were shortening the school day, even with remote learning. So the teachers didn't have to be online quite so much as well. And I just posted that learning loss um, article. I just saw that. I'm going to share it at. I'm going to share it on all the. Real quick there too. Yeah, I'm. I uh, just yeah, shared the link. Uh, I just shared the link so that it'll be in all the different social media there. The uh, uh, the economic cool. costs of learning losses. It's it's incredible. It's it's staggering what it's going to do to these kids and to the economy over the next over the century, but really hard over the next few years unless we can figure out a way to get these kids not only caught up to what it was in 2020, but get them caught up to 2021 and 2022, get them completely caught up where they're supposed to be at their grade level. And I don't see, unfortunately, I don't see many public schools being able to do that um, given the strength of their teachers unions at this point, especially those urban heavy urban districts where a lot of these low income kids actually live. Which is where they're being served the worst. I saw something yep. that showed that like a, a Baltimore public school system that in, in that the average graduation rate was like less than 5% or something like that. And even with much lower standards, they, they'd set the standards all the way to the bottom where you could graduate and still be functionally illiterate. And, 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 and yet they still weren't passing. The average GPA there was 0.13 or some absurd thing. These are the kids that are being the least served poor kids and, 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 and kids, you know, students of color and like in the most impoverished communities, the people who need education, the absolute most so that their kids can move forward and pull their, their, their families out of poverty and, and themselves out of poverty and their communities out of poverty. And they're the ones that are getting hit the, hit, hit the hardest with this stuff because the government is committed to giving them bad education. Yeah. And you've got, well, I can, I know from looking at stuff, Chicago, uh, Milwaukee and Baltimore, all have public schools with 0% of their kids proficient in either math or English. That's 0%. And they're still passing these kids. And these, these schools are still in operation where you've got legislators talking about where's the accountability for these private schools and school choice. And they've got 0% kids in their schools that are proficient. And yet they're okay with that. Oh, we know, give them more money, even though they're underperforming. They should be closing every one of those schools down. And giving yeah. those kids a chance to go to another school. 
Exactly. Shut that failure of a school down. It's basically prison training. And, you know, yep. shut the school down and let the kids go to a good school. These are good kids. They're just not yep. being served. They're not being served by a completely government-run, corrupt, union-run schooling. And, it, and you know, when you factor in, and I mean, again, we're going to go off into a whole, it's hard to not <laughs> look at this holistically. So I'm going to I'm going to bring you down the anarcho-capitalist uh, rabbit hole with me now, Lenny. So so prepare yourself. But when you consider the fact that government, the same government that's making education decisions is the same government making criminal justice decisions, which is the same government making uh, corrections and prison uh, decisions and the same government making foreign po- uh, 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 public safety decisions. And now you look at a government that is either intentionally or unintentionally poorly poorly serving students and setting them up for a life of either poverty or crime and then filtering them into a uh, a, a correction system that they've built where everyone there is being used for prison labor um, that is used to be contracted by third-party multi-billion dollar corporations that are basically using their 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 slave their captive prison labor paying them pennies on the dollar what they would pay anyone else for the labor and then you know charging market value for that labor and making a freaking killing on it it's starting to look like they are intentionally setting up entire generations of poor people for slavery yeah it's yeah the school to prison pipeline is real yeah i mean and as uh, i'll I'll quote Corey DeAngelis here who said this on one of our webinars school choice is criminal justice reform yes we can prevent so many kids from going to jail it's i think about two-thirds of uh inmates in jail do not have their high school diploma. That would make sense. I mean, yeah, it's insane. A lot of them actually have learning difficulties that were never diagnosed. And part of the reason as well, I mean, they just kind of get pushed along instead of getting diagnosed and helped. And the biggest one of that is dyslexia. That's rampant in our jail population, jail population that shouldn't be there. They should have been, should have been identified early in in the education system. And they should have been able to be helped, and they haven't been. Yeah, because dyslexia is an entirely treatable thing with early intervention and 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 all of that. I, I have met people who were, you know, they were diagnosed with dyslexia. Their education was modified as a result, and they now are very literate and very able to read and very able to write and very able to do anything else. But if you yep. can't... And if you don't have anything in place to intervene for these kids, the kids just get frustrated. They think that they're stupid. They're probably told that they're stupid because they aren't told something's wrong. And then now they're living a life of crime, both because they don't have a good education and they're angry. It's it's just so sad to watch this stuff happen. Um, Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just agreeing with you. Yes. Okay. Well, thank you. Um, I want to, I want to ask you, uh, Lenny, um, and I think I asked you this before, but in, in a, I forgot whatever your answer was and I apologize. And B also in case anyone uh, here uh, also either forgot or didn't, um, or didn't watch last time. Um, and I, I may not have brought this up. One of my concerns about school choice, uh, is that if let's say school choice becomes the law of the land and in every single state in the union, money is now tied to the student instead of the school. The way that many of these school choice, not all of them, because you've talked about like some of these ESA programs and things like that, but the way that most or many of the school choice programs I've heard of are set up is it's still the state and federal governments who are doling out the money that they've taken from the from the, 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 the taxpayer, uh, but now it is being assigned to the student. 
my concern is that if that were to happen, then now you have a situation where the where the government, the federal and state governments, are the biggest. Uh, it's basically single payer education where the provider may be private or for profit or or not run by government, but they're still now their their biggest single. Um, uh, their biggest single um, customer, for lack of a better word, is the government. Uh, and that inevitably that money is eventually, even if it's not now, eventually the justification will be there through mission creep for the government to step in and say, well, since we're the ones paying for all this, you've got to do this and that and this and that and this and that. And over time, over the years, not only does uh, charter and private education become public education by another name, but also by implementing this program, you've effectively eliminated all true private education. Is that also a concern of yours, or is this something that's being addressed in these programs? Or you know, what are your thoughts on that? It, it definitely is a concern of mine, and I think that's why I tend to like the tax credit scholarships the most, funding an education savings account. Because then the money, the parents are controlling the money so they can decide what and where they want to go. And it's hard if you're only paying for one class, how is the government going to force any regulations on that school if you're only having one class within that school? Right, so right, right. They're, they're, and, and the regulations, so far, you know, some states are over-regulate, over Louisiana over-regulates over their tax credit scholarship program. The effect of that was the good, the really the best schools did not opt into the program. They do not take any kids from the tax credit scholarship program. So it was the poorer schools that did, which hopefully will be able to get fixed at some point. So it kind of relaxes those regulations a little bit. So more school, better schools can actually get in. I mean, there's some good schools that are actually in the program, but at the beginning, it wasn't as much because schools can opt out and not take students. If there's a lot of regulations that come along with it. So that's kind of up to them as well. So the schools have the freedom not to take every student if they come with a tax credit scholarship or other money. But the tax credit scholarships and the ESA are the hardest for the government to regulate and get, make force onto the schools that take the money, right. where vouchers and stuff become very difficult. They're very easy to regulate with the government putting so many restrictions on them. That's why I really don't like vouchers as much. They're simple, yeah. but... Yeah, they do allow the government into a whole lot. But a lot of the federal money doesn't actually go to a lot of these private schools through the, the all the flow for all the programs that I know. It's all state money. It's not federal money. Private schools can file for grants through the Department of Education and stuff and right. get money for special programs. And they know that going in what the regulations and stuff are going to be. But it doesn't right. flow with the students so it prevents a lot of that regulation. So, But, yes, that is one of my concerns as well over the long term. But I think it's going to be very hard for the government to gradually creep up those regulations. As more and more parents utilize school choice, they're going to go, no, you're not passing this. And then they become a really loud voice and political block to stop those kind of things. Because they're now sort of the... Educate if if you want to call it a lobby, they're now the education choice lobby, where they're the ones saying we, as the tens or hundreds of millions of parents in this country, we like how this is. If anything, we want you less involved. So this is less. Yep. These things, whether we're talking vouchers or ESAs, these aren't the solve that 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 solves this whole problem. They are a step in the right direction. We have yes. to remain vigilant, but it creates it destroys the narrative that government's good at education or is necessary. 
necessary in education, and it moves us towards the argument that this would be best handled in as free market a way as possible. Yep, exactly. Very good, man. Well, let me ask you this. You know, I, 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 before I let you go, I want to give you a chance to tell me, you know, uh, two, well, two things. Uh, is, is there anything else that's on the horizon that you're excited about? And then just a general sense of, uh, of if you think if we're, are we headed broadly in the right direction or the wrong direction? And then honestly, anything else you want to say, the floor is yours, man. All right. Um, I was looking up some statistics real quick here. Um, ACE has done several studies on like the value of what a high school diploma is and stuff. And it's actually when a student gets a diploma versus not getting a diploma, they actually save society. It's almost $1.2 million. It's like $1.18 million over their lifetime that they're not going to prison. They're not using social services as much. And the parents, what we found at ACE is the parents of ACE students after three years, their incomes are increasing. And what we found out is these parents are spending 10% of their money or more to help their kid go to a private school when they're only making like dollars $45,000 a year for a family of four because right. there's four, but they're also going back to school and finishing their own degrees. And at ACE, we've got like 23% of our parents have gone back and finished their bachelor's degree and other degrees, certificates, you know, associate's degree, professional certificates. It's actually about 48% of our parents after three years are getting their own degrees and advancing their own education. So they've become, they've gone from a little over two years of staying in one job to eight years They've stayed in the same residence from a little over two years to about eight years. So their housing stability increases, their employment stability increases, their incomes increasing. So school choice actually can solve the poverty problem and income gaps as well, just by helping these these parents, low income parents and students get through everything, get through themselves and increase themselves. That, and I'm sorry, I told you that I was going to give you the last word. I'm going to give you the last word in a second, but I have to step in. Two, uh, two things. Number one, uh, your, uh, we had someone ask if you're single because they want to set you up with their mother. <laughs> no, I am happily married. And if you watched, if you were here earlier, you saw my wife actually. In yes, the I saw someone. That's, was that your yeah, wife? So, okay. Yeah, you well, she knew. She knew. She knew she's concerned, Lenny. She's like, my husband, he's out here looking hot, getting everyone all excited. I, I want people to know there's a lady behind this this strong man here. Okay. Yep. And then uh and then uh the other thing is uh what was the other thing that was here? Oh, I wanted to talk about that statistic. Did I hear you correctly? The difference between someone having or not having a high school diploma is costing if they if they don't if they have a high school diploma on average they will save the taxpayer 1.2 million dollars yes it's yes we're going to update that was done in two in 2017 we're actually going to update that study this summer and get new numbers and stuff but yes from our last study it was 1.18 million dollars over a person's lifetime that school choice and getting their high school diploma saves the taxpayer. So if you get a million people, and this is broadly speaking, obviously it's different from person to person, but generally speaking, if you got a million people 
high school diplomas, not just by granting it to them, but like actually educating them so they can qualify to graduate from high school. You just saved the taxpayer over a trillion dollars. Yep, you would. Not to mention all the the the, the societal harm of of someone going to prison or or you know you know the the opportunity cost uh, loss of someone who you know instead of being uh, on on welfare is now a business owner or you know very successful and they're making money and creating jobs you know we're just looking at the taxpayer cost there's trillions more uh, in 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 opportunity costs uh, lost yeah. opportunity costs oh, from people that would have been able to thrive and then just the immeasurable you can't put a number on it but the lack of the the reduction of suffering that would happen as a result of it, right? As well. All the emotional toll that goes along with crime and everything else, it you know it it that it's a great effect. So yeah, prevent all of that. That's incredible. So now I'm mean, now that I have asked you if you're single and uh, <laughs> and and uh, you know uh, made sure your wife is aware that you're a hot commodity now, uh, but uh, now I want to give you the final word. Uh, talk to us about. Um, uh, the, um, talk to us about universal education choice. Talk to us about ACE. Talk to us about all your stuff. Tell us whatever you want to say. You can talk for an hour if you want to. I'm just going to sit here. I love how, <laughs> listening to you talk. Lenny Jarrett, the right. floor is yeah, well, yours. I work, yeah, I work for ACE scholarships. They're located in, in Denver, Colorado, and we do private school choice in eight states. You can see the map on our, on our website. Um, for, I know the link was on at the beginning, but act.acescholarship.org. You can go find those reports I discussed, some of my writing, some of our webinars. as a webinar more about actually how crime decreases because of school choice and things like that we, that we did in March. Um, there's a lot of information there. The social mobility report, which I talked about, and the value of a diploma, those numbers all came out of our reports that you can go into act.acescholarships.org and find. But one of the things I love about working with ACE is they started over 20, almost 21 years ago now, giving, getting private donations, giving kids scholarships to private schools. They didn't wait for the government to create a school choice program. They created a school choice program themselves through private philanthropy with no real incentive from the government to increase the donations. And that's why I love it. We only have two states that we actually do work with their government with the tax credit scholarship, Louisiana and Kansas, that we actually work with the government program. Otherwise, it's all private donations, all private scholarships, private schools. And it's it's it is a really great organization. If anybody wants to help out a scholarships dot org, go and please donate. You will help a student out. I mean, I think, I'm going to put that I, I in the. Yeah. Ascholarships.org. So you give about $2,500, $2,500, if you have that much money, but everything helps. You actually help one student. If you can give five, 10 bucks, if a whole bunch of your listeners give five or 10 bucks, that's going to help a whole lot of students. And if you want to know more about me, yeah, Universal Education Choice on Facebook. You can come follow me. I post about school choice on there. You need me to come speak somewhere else? Let me know too. I'm happy to talk anywhere. Get on as many podcasts because I love talking about school choice. Yeah, you know, <laughs> you can't tell that, but I, I love it. I love school choice. I love helping the students because we're changing lives one by one, and in, for the most part, we're not waiting for the government to help change lives. We're doing it right. regardless. And I'll have a bunch more studies coming up. I've been able to do a study recently here, just a small pilot study. One of the things that legislators and school superintendents like to say, 
oh, private schools don't help kids with learning difficulties. Well, I found out over 80% of our schools in this one area actually do. They have, and some of them specialize in different types of learning difficulties and they're doing it. So we're gonna run that survey nationally with all of our partner schools at some point here this year. So I'll have more data on that, but it's just blowing up myths that private schools don't cherry pick. Oh, the elite schools absolutely do. But all these schools that work with school choice, they can't cherry pick. They have to be able to take applications from all these students. And a lot of them are first come first serve basis. And ACE focuses on low income students. That's what, that is our niche. Kids that are low income below, that are getting free and reduced lunch. That's who we're serving right now and helping the most. And those are the kids that need it the most. And within two years of a student coming into ACE, they have gone from being below proficiency to being at proficiency within two years and moving above proficiency in three. So I love working for ACE. I'd love for you guys to get involved and help us out. And so we can help more kids. That is awesome. So, and like you said, yeah, the, the, the big wig, uh, you know, uh, uh, elite private schools that all the politicians and, uh, and, and teachers union heads are sending their kids to, they won't accept, uh, you know, those types of cases, but all of the other ones that is where this money would be going, uh, absolutely accept them and help them. Yep. They do. So this is so uh, uh, ascholarships.org. Uh, you are, um, uh, what is it, Universal Education Choice yep. on Facebook. And honestly, you yep. may have to set up an OnlyFans, man. When I read some of these comments, goodness. Um, you, you've, you've, got a, you've got a lot of fans here. Um, so, Lenny, you know I love you. You know the fans love you. We're going to have you on again soon. Thanks so much, man. Thank you so much for coming All on. All right. Thank you. I love coming on. Have me on anytime. Absolutely, man. Now stick around. We're going we're gonna to talk during the outro. Uh, folks, thanks again for tuning into this episode of My Fellow Americans. Uh, before I go, I want to make sure to thank all of our uh, amazing uh, monthly supporters who are helping to make Muddied Waters uh, something that we can provide to you every single week. Uh, here are our monthly supporters. Uh, our newest ones, Justin Mickelson, Jack Casey, Zachary Martin, Joshua McHose, uh, Tim Pollen, Pollen, uh, Kenneth Ebel, James E. Lee, Alex Boyer, Daniel Faust, Jennifer Morrison, Chris Reynolds, of course, uh, Jeff Depoy, uh, Andrea McDonald, Meg Jones, and Billy Pierce. Thank you so much, folks. And if you want to become a, uh, a monthly sponsor or a monthly, uh, a monthly supporter, just go to anchor.fm slash muddiedwaters, uh, click the donate button, and you can make either a one-time or recurring donation right there, and we would love to have you. If you have crypto that, you'd like to, that you've been hodling that you want to give us, go on over to float.app. F-L-O-T-E dot app slash muddied waters media. Uh, and there's a donate button there and you can donate some of that Bitcoin you've been looking to hodl. Give us some Bitcoin. Um, but thank you guys so much. Uh, thank you so much for tuning into this episode of My Fellow Americans. We have some fantastic news. Tomorrow, April 1st, the very first, well, not very first episode, but the first episode in quite some time, something like a year of the writer's block by guy on left, Matt Wright. He's doing his first episode of the writer's block in, I don't even remember the last time he did an episode, well over a year. Uh, and his guest will be the laser legend himself, Matt Hicks. So tune in tomorrow, Thursday uh, at 8 p.m. Eastern, right here on Muddy Waters Media. 
Uh, have a great weekend, and then we will see you back here next week uh, for Tuesday uh, for the Muddy Waters of Freedom, where Matt Wright and I parse through the week's events like the sweet little 2020 Wonder Boys that we are, and then come right back here on Wednesday at 8, same spike place, same spike time. For the next episode of My Fellow Americans, my guest will be James M. Ray with the Libertarian Energy from Thorium Caucus. We're going to talk all about thorium reactors and why energy should cost like a hundredth of what we're paying right now. So that's going to be a great episode. So again, folks, thanks again for tuning in. We will see you uh, tomorrow at the Writer's Block. and We'll see you next week. I'm Spike Cohen, and you are the power. God bless, guys. Open up the only fine I'm in line.